0: Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Ladies and gentlemen, did you, did you see it last night, the Sean Hannity show? Uh, I, I was on the show right after the guest. If you, if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, if you missed it last night, you know, as whereas I said, yesterday was some of the most important television. I covered the Tucker Carlson show. Last night was some of the most raw emotional TV I've seen in my entire life. I'm going to go into that in the show today. Got a lot of good news suit job numbers today. Spectacular. I've got another story I want to talk to you about too, about a woke social justice warrior from Harvard uh, saying, I'm going to stab you on a thing. What happened to her? These are all important stories. Uh, today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Surf the web with peace of mind. Get a VPN today. Don't wait. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today on this Thursday? It's not Friday! Friday. Yeah. <laughs> now, so I guess I'm For those okay. of you wondering why Joe is giving his traditional Friday intro yeah. on a Thursday, we will be off tomorrow. We recorded an interview yeah. uh, with the great Jenna Ellis, who is a legal advisor, a lawyer for the Trump campaign she gives us some inside baseball on what they think about the polling re-election strategy it's a pretty long interview it goes on for a while i think you're gonna like it check that out we will launch that tomorrow so there will be a show tomorrow uh it's just yep. that we recorded it uh full disclosure there so my check man. that out all right let's get right to it yeah yeah joe's been working yeah, hard babe. joe by the way yeah. to all my team out there this is our first drew paula joe this is our first day off today and tomorrow excuse me friday and um and Ooh. Monday in a long time. So you uh, guys deserve it. Great job. Thanks, I hope boss. you get you a nice break. I know. Uh, all right. You, yeah, it's been five years, yeah. you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it's been five years since poor Joe got a day off. <laughs> you too. All right, let's get to a lot of content to cover it. It's true. Uh, today's show brought to you by our friends at NetSuite. The last few months have taught us what's really important in life. It's taught us what we need to eliminate, what we need to change. Listen, it's the same for business. It's been a really rough few months for business. There's no time to waste money. This is no time to have a bunch of systems that don't work. Clean up your business. Now get everything together. Get the changes you need to done, make, get, get them done today. Yeah, You have a hairball of multiple software systems. Why would you have that? You can streamline them with just one. All you need is NetSuite by Oracle. It's the world's number one cloud business system. Finance, HR, inventory, e-commerce, everything you need in one spot. Save time, save money, save headaches. That's important right now. It's a critical time. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite gives you the visibility and control to manage every penny. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to go faster with confidence. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business now. Receive your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com bongino. Go today, don't wait. Get your free guide. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Bongino. That's netsuite.com slash Bongino. Save time, save money. NetSuite.com slash Bongino go today. All right, Joe, let's go. Folks, I'm really excited about today's show. I, you know, I sometimes I I I say that, and you know I always mean it, but I really, really, really mean it today. It's gonna to be a lot of interesting material, including some stuff about some books I read that are gonna to explain to you a lot about why the left's doing what they're doing. So please don't miss it. First, let's get to this. This is um, this is maybe a little somber moment. So I just want you to get ready. It was a tough one for me, and I'm gonna to try to get through this. But last night, little behind the scenes. I was, I'm, I'm scheduled pretty much every night on the Sean Hannity show on Fox. And um, I was in the B block last night. The B block is the second portion of the show. Just a little behind the scenes on how TV works. That usually starts around 9.30. And, there, you know, there's a C and a D, obviously, in an E block. And Sean had a guest on in the A block. Uh, the guest was uh, Mr. Anderson, the father to Horace Lorenzo Anderson. I want you to remember that name. Uh, Horace Lorenzo Anderson was killed inside the Seattle CHOP area, which is now, thank the Lord, and I'm not using his name in vain, been dismantled. That story's seemingly escaped the mainstream media, which wants to avoid the murder of an innocent inside of the Seattle CHOP, which was their new breeding ground for heroes. They loved the CHOP. They don't want to talk about what really happened in there. So Sean and his producers last night had the father, Mr. Anderson, of Horace on last night. The interview was in the A block of the show, was probably my guest having guest hosted scheduled for five, maybe, maybe 10 minutes. The interview went on, folks, for probably close to 35 minutes. I sat there in this seat with this earpiece in my ear, watching it on my return right in front of you about 12 seconds before you did, because I'm getting it live. It's always a little bit of a delay when it gets over the TV channel. And folks, I didn't want it to stop. It was some of the most raw, emotional TV, I'm not kidding, I've ever seen in my life. And keep in mind, I'm waiting to come on next. I was on the segment at the end of the show for a few minutes with Pete Hagseth and Geraldo, but it's probably the first time in my career at Fox and elsewhere where I honestly wouldn't have minded one bit if I was canceled. I mean that. I was sitting here in this very seat listening with my head in my hand, and it was just tough to listen to this man whose son was murdered inside the chop. And nobody, nobody reached out to him. No one. Couldn't even see his kid. Says he got no calls from the mayor, politically leave, nobody. I couldn't play obviously in the interest of time, the whole video. There were so many emotional moments in it, I had to pick one. This is about a minute and a half. I want you to listen to this. I want you to send this to your friends, your family. Put the politics aside for a moment, I know that's hard. But we all need to hear this because it's something I experienced probably once or twice a month when I was a police officer on a police tape line at a murder scene. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. When you see that deep, dark place people are forced to go to, when their children are taken from them and murdered, you can never unsee that. It changes you forever. You are never the same person. Listen to Mr. Anderson talk about the tragic death of his son. The kids that passed, whatever, what happened the other day, you know, all this on this child. Man, this is incredible. These are kids, man. I'm 50 years old. Man, these are, these are kids, man. They should have been stopped this a long time ago. It, it's starting to get, it, excuse me, but it, it's getting to a point. You know where, you know it's getting, gotcha. I'm, I'm so sorry. am just really, man. I'm so sorry, Mr. Anderson. I, I you know I can only say this as a dad I you want to break Sean Hannity I, you know I'm a pretty tough guy that will break me
1: what you somebody to
0: ask for this and they need to come talk to me and somebody need to come tell me something because I still don't know nothing and somebody need to come to my house and knock on my door and tell me something that you know, I don't know nothing. All I know is my son was—he got killed up there, and he's just a—it's just, just a 19-year-old. No, that's ours, Lorenzo Anderson. That's my son. You know, and I loved him, you know? and that was my son. You know, I—I you know, I saw that last night. I've seen it again today, and I—I. I, I... I, I, I really, I don't, I don't, even, I know it's like a talk show. We're supposed to talk and I don't even know what to say. Maybe now it'll make more sense to some of the folks who listen, who have legitimate questions and they say, well, Dan, you know, maybe we should let the voters of these places that have chosen these types of disastrous policy decisions suffer the ramifications. I've never supported that. That's why. Because not everyone who lives in where I grew up, New York City and elsewhere, in California and elsewhere, not everyone supported that. And as a result of disastrous decisions made by failed political leaders who couldn't pull themselves out of politics for a moment and see the forest for the trees, this man's son is dead. No one talked to this guy? Mr. Anderson went to the hospital, couldn't even see his son? Nobody talked to this guy. No one called him. No one had the self-respect and dignity to pay this gentleman a call and pay some respects to his son that was murdered inside a lawless area, inside one of America's biggest cities. Folks, we can't give up. These are our citizens too. They deserve a shot. We can't fix all the voters' bad decisions. They want to tax their people to death, regulate them to death. We're not going to be able to fix everyone. But I'm very sorry if you disagree. But when it comes to public safety and protecting the lives of American citizens, there is no silver medal. There's only the gold. And the gold medal is we are going to do everything in our power, regardless of how awful voting choices are in that area or the politicians who lead it, to protect and ensure that you can live freely in your own country. If we can't do that, then ladies and gentlemen, we've descended into nothing world and well, more than third world chaos. Why do I feel that way? Because Mr. Anderson, I mean, folks, I'm not kidding. That was just one moment. There were probably no less than five or six moments like that. And it was the most raw television. I'm not kidding. I think I've seen in my 45 years. I didn't want it to end. I didn't even want to go. I really, I didn't even know how to follow it up. Because what do you even say? The reason I feel this way, that public safety matters no matter what, I don't care how awful these these politicians and mayors are, is because I sat on those police tape lines. I wasn't a police officer very long when I was sent to my first dead-on-arrival DOA scene. The homicide, I told the story to Paula, I'll leave the details out because they're, tough to listen to but it was a shooting and when you're a new guy you have to stand there and they roped the area off in police tape because it's a crime scene and Mr. Anderson said something he said that's my son that's my son as he broke down and I walked in the room last night I said to Paula after that I said, you know, every police tape line I ever stood on with a murdered young man or woman in the background when their parents showed up, you know, every parent says that exact same thing, that exact, exact same thing. Those are the first words any police officer listening right now who's done it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Every single parent of a murdered child that shows up at that police tape line when you're standing there says the exact same thing. They say, that's my son, that's my daughter, or they say, that's my baby right there. And then they collapse. You can't look at that and be the same person the next day. You can't. It's not possible. Like I said, make all the bad decisions you want about taxes, all the bad decisions you want about health care. We can't fix everything. As I said, move away if you, think, uh, if you think there's no future for you there. But when it comes to public safety, I'm sorry. There's no excuse. I cannot accept, well, just let the CHOP and the CHAZ and whatever exist, you know, eventually they'll get it. No, eventually people will die. And I'm not willing to accept any more Mr. Andersons. And you shouldn't either. Neither should the president, the FBI, or anyone else. These are kids. Did you hear him say that? These are kids. These are kids. These are kids, folks. Kids. Horace Lorenzo Anderson is 19. We all screwed up at 19. What do we know at 19? Who deserves to die? The child was murdered. I'm telling you, if you were a police officer listening, you have been on that police tape. And every single parent that shows up says that exact same thing. That's my baby. Everyone unacceptable, folks. I never thought we'd be in this place in the country where we're having a serious argument or dispute about public safety. Totally, completely unacceptable. These are American citizens too. They deserve to be able to walk the streets, not worrying about having their kids murdered. Now, in case you think feeling that way puts you in the minority out there, And that there aren't a groundswell of Americans that don't agree with me that public safety and taking care of their families matter amidst this chaos we're sadly living through. Ladies and gentlemen, you're wrong. I want to move on from this segment by, I'll put up this story in a minute, but letting you know that you are not alone. Tucker Carlson brought up this the other night. I brought it up on my show often. You are not alone out there. We have moved from what I believe was an unsilent minority during the Obama years to a maybe silent majority people are afraid of cancel culture and they think they're alone out there like gosh i mean maybe i'm the only one who feels like the country's headed in the wrong direction that the liberals and and all they're doing with the statues and these radical leftists that this is wrong no you're not alone you are not alone don't let Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok videos fool you into thinking that America is disappearing into a cesspool of far-left radical socialism. It's out there. We have to fight hard. They are the minority still. They're powerful. They're doing a lot of damage. It's hard to ignore them. But do not get depressed and think you are alone. You are not. Look at this story in the Washington Free Beacon I pulled up today. You think you're alone? You're the only one out there feeling like things are descending into madness? You're not. Washington Free Beacon. Story will be up in the show notes today. Stephen Gut- uh, Gutowski. Record-setting gun sales could leave stores dry. Florida retailer said everything was literally sold out. Think you're alone? Look at this from the piece. Millions. Millions of people are not going to take any of this lying down, folks. They are not going to let their families fall into third world chaos. It says an analysis of background check numbers by industry analyst Small Arms Analytics released on Wednesday indicates that more than 2.3 million firearms were sold in uh, the United States during June. That's an increase of more than 145% over June of last year. It's up from 1.7 million estimated to have been sold in May and the 1.8 million in April and just shy of the all-time monthly record of 2.5 million in March. There have been an estimated 8.3 million firearms sold in the United States since March, a record-setting pace likely to make 2020 the greatest year for gun sales in American history if the trends continue. So much so that gun and ammunition retailers are having trouble keeping up with the demand as Americans flood stores. People will defend themselves and their families. You are not alone. You have never been alone in this fight. All right, I got some good news. I got a lot more to get to. Um, let me get to my second sponsor here. I always appreciate your patience. I want to get to the job numbers, and I want to get to a very, very, very important video from a Harvard student, and clearly a social justice warrior. And Why this video matters is, and an explanation as to why it matters. And it comes from my one of my all-time favorite books, a book me and Andrew Wilkow both love. So don't go anywhere. Really, you're gonna I hope you appreciate the segment coming up. All right, today's show also brought to you by our friends at ExpressVPN. You hear me open the show with ExpressVPN just about every day. It's the software that I and thousands of my listeners use every day to protect our data online. In the time since I started using ExpressVPN, hacking methods have gotten even more sophisticated. I'm sure many of you working from home these days don't mess around. Many of you don't have an IT department to protect you from these threats. You got to take action. That's why we use and we we recommend, excuse me, ExpressVPN for the best online protection possible. I've been talking about ExpressVPN for so long now. You know I understand this and you need to understand too why encrypting your network data is so critical and vital. Some of you still haven't acted. Why is that? You might be thinking that security threats don't affect you personally, but not using ExpressVPN is like leaving your front door unlocked every time you go out. Huge mistake. Sure, nothing might happen for years, but when a break-in does happen, it is devastating. We can't afford that here. We have one of the routers right there. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. Click one button on your computer and smartphone and you are protected. Put the worry aside. My only question is why haven't you started already? Go to ExpressVPN, use my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN we trust to keep our data safe and people out of our systems here. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Go today. All right. That was an emotional show so far. Joe, I appreciate your patience with me. I think you saw how- uh, Last night was rough. I mean, I sat here on this camera watching that interview and I'm telling you with the lights in my eyes, which always bother me at night and I couldn't get it. I really, it is the first time I think I was ever on television on Fox that I said, I really hope this just goes the whole show and I never get on TV because it was that powerful. So, and I'm sure you felt the same way listening to Mr. Anderson, Mm -hmm. just uh, as a dad yourself. So, oh, you know it. Send our best, by the way. To little Joe. I know you may get some little Joe time this yeah, weekend, too. Yeah, buddy. I Joe sure and I will. are both that. And he told so. me to make sure that yeah, I tell you know. hello as well. He made a point to say oh, that. Oh, he's a good Okey man. dokes. Hello. Man of America's uh, finest. You got it, brother. You, you know it. So, All right. <laughs> Let me get to some good news for once. All right, folks. The job numbers are out for June. They are spectacular. We see this article up in Breitbart. Blowout. Be up in the show notes by John Carney. The U.S. economy added 4.8 million million not a million million, but a million jobs in June, unemployment fell to 11.1%. Oh, Listen, not a lot more. To, that's a huge number. Predictions were 3 million. We are still in a very bad spot. I am not in any way. It would be a disservice to you downplaying the catastrophic economic impact of these disastrous lockdowns, which have no science behind them at all. They were a bad call. But as Mr. Trump, President Trump said today, and the presser that happened this morning about the jobs, we now have a better grasp of how the virus works. We don't know everything, but we know enough. It affects largely older people in a more lethal way, people with comorbidities. Younger folks are getting it. They're spreading it amongst themselves. But thank God, and literally thank the Lord, the lethality rate is very low amongst young people. That has now given us the ability to tailor these economic reopenings, which should go full steam ahead. We cannot afford to bankrupt people, bank our hospitals, destroy and wreck our food supply to continue lockdowns that have shown no evidence that they actually work. I'm going to give you one number. I'm going to move on to my next segment. Florida, which locked down the latest and opened up relatively fast. Florida had 15 deaths per 100,000 people where I live, despite having a dramatically older population than the rest of the United States. People that are most vulnerable, 15 deaths per 100,000. New York, a much younger population, which locked down en masse and still isn't opened up in many respects. New York had 161 deaths per 100,000 people. Explain to me again how the lockdowns work. They didn't. You have no data to back that up at all. It is time to open up the economy with proper precautions. Period. Full stop. The debate on that is officially over if, if, if you believe in the data and the science. If you don't, keep arguing for lockdowns and bankrupting people. Because that's where you stand. You're all alone right now in that. Because there's no data to back that up. All right, let me get to this story. Two pager today, as always. Lately, it's been stacked up. We're so low. We're low tech here. I like low. We've been low tech from the beginning, and the show's still the second most popular conservative podcast out there. <laughs> low tech is good. You know what? I get asked a lot by people who want to start podcasting. Yeah. What's the secret? I said, content is king, brother. Yep. Every single time. Nobody gives a damn about how your background looks. No one. If they can hear it and they can see it, and Joe and Drew do the best job in the Mm -hmm. business at making it good to look at and good to hear, you are a okay as long as your content is good. And Paula, who's giving me, which is right, she's giving me. Hey, what about me here? She's (laughs) right. She is the grand dame of the Dan Bongino Inc. operation. All right. So moving on because this is important. Many of you saw this story. Some of you didn't. Um, This is a TikTok from a, a woman, a student at Harvard, who's clearly a pretty radical leftist. She did one of these TikTok videos on an app I refuse to download. I'm sorry. I, apparently, is some ties to the Chinese communist uh, government, I am not downloading that uh, until they clean that operation up. But it's very popular amongst the kids. It's just a video app. You can do little videos. You jump around and stuff. So um, it's a Harvard student, and she did this video, I don't know how long ago, a few weeks ago, months ago. It doesn't really matter. But the video went viral for all the wrong reasons. Uh, this is a video where she describes what she's going to do to people who challenge the term Black Lives Matter. And she uses a term here in the beginning. Um, I just recently became aware of a caucasity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fascinating term. Yes, I'm sure Joe and Paula just heard this one too. Oh, yeah. Um, so listen to this video. Here's a brief one here. The woman is subsequently, according to reports, been fired by her employer, Deloitte & Touche, um, which, listen, uh, you, this is a threat on video. I mean, there's a liability issue there. Uh, but- Check this out, and I'm going to explain to you what's really going on, I believe, in this woman's head and people who think like her. Check this out. The next person who has the sheer nerve, the sheer entitled caucasity to say all lives matter, I'm going to stab you. I'm going I'm to stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut and say, my cut matters too. I'm going to stab you. Now, I, again, we get both sides because we do actual reporting here, unlike journalists. Uh, the woman now is claiming, obviously, I was being, you know, ridiculous. It wasn't an actual threat. Well, I, I, I can't get in her head there. I don't know what she was thinking or not. Maybe she thought it was brave and she was going to look like such a frontline tip tip-of-the-spear, battle-tested warrior by issuing. It is a threat. There's no doubt about it. If the threat was real or not, you can all debate amongst yourselves. So no doubt it was a threat. I'm going to stab you is a threat. It, saying I'm gonna pet you, I'm gonna clean your ears, I'm gonna wash your hair for you. You're saying he's gonna stab you. So, obviously, there's a serious liability issue with an employer if later on something were to happen. I'm like, well, did you miss that? <laughs> you know? So, this video is deep, but not for the reasons the woman in it thinks it is. Number one, this term caucasity. Have you ever heard this, Joe, um, before today? No. I know what it means, though. I looked it no, up. No, me either. Yeah. I had to look it up. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I had to look it up. I had no idea what this meant. I I guess you and I are woke. Paula, did you know? You didn't know either, right? No, Paula had no idea. Caucasity is apparently one of these woke social social justice warrior terms. Um, it, it's, it's, it's about basically the audacity of whiteness. How if you happen to be white when you say things without recognizing your white privilege, like, oh my gosh, the audacity of that white person daring to challenge the social narrative of the time, the caucasity of it. Mm -hmm. You know, she's from Harvard, Joe. She's obviously smarter than you and I. What the hell do you and I know? Right. You were just the dopey radio guy. I was just a silly, stupid cop. What do I know? We don't know anything. No real world experience at all. We don't know nothing. Either this Paula, all a bunch of more. Oh, yeah. But she went to Harvard, so- You know, she's clearly smarter than us. She is our better. And she understands caucasity. She understands what that means. So she's definitely smarter. And the reason we don't know what the word caucasity means, Joe, this is the never-ending cycle of stupid you descend to with social justice. Okay. Who are now criticizing my show as they're They're saying this right now. Sure. Trust me. We have a lot of libs that listen to the show. What they're saying now, Joe, is of course Bongino, Armacost, and Paula don't know what caucasity means. It's because of their white privilege. Oh. They're obviously racist, avoiding the term caucasity because they're afraid of their caucasity. Oh. That's why. And you're like, you start to spin yourself into stupid circles like, yes. oh, what? What are you talking about? I don't get any of what you just said. Of course you because you're really stupid. That's what they believe. <laughs> now, as I played this video, there's a lot here. There is. It may sound like just a dopey, silly video by an uninformed, you know, Harvard student, but it reminded me of a book both me and uh, the great Andrew Wilkow host the show on Sirius XM. We both love It's probably outside of the works of Thomas Sowell, it's probably my favorite book. The book is called The Revolt Against the Masses by Fred Siegel. Um, it's not my book. I have no financial interest. I've never met Fred Siegel in my life. I never don't know him, never communicated with him. <laughs> All I can say to you is this book is a life changer. If you're interested in the deep, dark path the Democrat Party has taken to get to where they are today. The premise of the book, because Paula asked an interesting question. She said, if you're going to cite the book, what's the book about? I'm like, that's a good point. The book is about simply this. The Democrat Party, specifically the liberal wing of it, hates the middle class. They always have. This whole myth, the Democrat credo, we're in it for the little guy, Joe. Yes, championing the little guy we don't like the rich the aristocracy (laughs) is not only wrong it's totally backwards right that's why the book is titled the revolt against the masses the masses are the middle class and the poor the rich are a very small sliver of society right just by simple math the richest among us the one percenters they go are a small number of of people the masses are everyone else Mm -hmm. the left hates them can't stand them has never, has never tolerated the middle class. So without going through the whole book, I took a snapshot, a photo of two of my favorite passages from the book. These two passages, I want you to listen. They explain a lot in this video. The first passage explains why pseudo-educated snob elitists that talk like the woman in this video about the caucasity of your whiteness and I'm going to stab you if you say uh, all lives matter and show you my paper cut, whatever she said in that that rant. The first portion of the book, Fred Siegel explains, the first cut here, how education is used now as a proxy for your value to society, but education outside of any applicable value-added At all. In other words, people like Joe, you know, radio producer, a guy who's worked his whole life, very talented guy, musician, photographer. Joe does more than I even talk about on show. He's worthless, Joe. Yeah. Worthless. Because Joe's not a Harvard kid. Me, cop, secret service agent. What a moron. I went to Penn State for my MBA. We were an idiot. You didn't go to Yale or moron. Paula, first generation uh, immigrant to the country. Come on. Native language is Spanish. What does she know? You're not a Harvard kid. Oh, They've always used education as a proxy for your, your value to society, despite what you've done. Let's go to the piece. This is beautifully, beautifully described. Paula was kind enough to put the cover of the book in there too, in case you want to buy it. Again, Revolt, The Revolt Against the Masses by Fred Siegel. Please listen to this. This is where he's talking about how, how oh, this is, I'm sorry. This is the portion about the aristocracy. This is critical. Yeah, yeah. Can you switch out to the other one? You can leave that in. It's a, it happens. Go to the other one, the short one. Let's do the education one. Education's a proxy Listen to this. This is this is key. The Americans learned from Shaw how to be narrow-minded in a witty, superior way. He's talking about George Bernard Shaw. Shaw pioneered the path whereby an author could simultaneously insult the middle class and yet be embraced by it on the grounds that your receptiveness to criticism signified someone who was a cut above both men mine the ore that was usually the moral strength but sometimes the self-defeating vulnerability of western culture its capacity for self-criticism genius he's talking about how you use this education proxy. Do you see the video at City Hall? We don't have it for today. It's too, I, I'm short on time, but there's a video at City Hall, the new chopped at New York City City Hall. There's a guy in a green tutu screaming up and down to the cops, you don't even have a college education. Do you see it? Some of you saw it. Oh, no. <laughs> this is it. That your education in an elite radical leftist institution like Harvard and elsewhere that promotes this nonsense, your education has shown you the key to being both at the same time, a hero to the middle class while insulting them because you're from Harvard. You realize you're an evil person and you're the problem because you're of your caucasity. So if you are a white social justice warrior spitting in the face of police officers, you're doing it because you realize you're the problem. And again, your support, your fake support of the middle class is signaled by you insulting them. Huh. You may be saying, I don't get it. It's Mm. because you went to Harvard and you know more than the middle class you claim to champion that it's your job to take these dumb radio producers and cops like me and immigrants like Paula and drag them to your woke, educated side. And your ability to do that was generated by your signal passport from Harvard oh. or Yale. Oh, yes. That you, you get it? Oh. And that signal how much smarter and more brilliant you are than these dopey truckers and carpenters and you smelly cops and radio producers and Paula computer engineers, you all losers. That the signal that you're losers is you're not as woke as I am because I went to Harvard and right. Harvard taught me I'm the problem. Right, right. I'm And I know I'm the problem and you don't. And I will drag you over by getting in your face like green tutu guy and telling those police officers, you didn't even go to college. You don't know nothing. That police officer knows a whole lot more than green tutu guy. Education is that proxy. For them, not life education, not real world skills, an actual sheepskin diploma is all you need to show the middle class what losers they are and how you're enlightened and a hero to them because you can criticize them because you know you're the problem and they don't. Genius. So there's the first part. They hate a meritocracy. The second part of this is even better. It's a little longer. But it explains the history of the Democrat. There's only one paragraph, but bear with me. It explains the history of the radical left movement that claims, they're, again, they're in it for the little guy. They're not. As I just told you, they only want to criticize the middle class. You're so stupid. You don't realize, you deplorable idiots, you're the problem. I do. Listen to me. I'm from Harvard. I care about your mining experience? What do you know? Truckers? What do you guys know? Feeding the country and all? Miners? Powering the company? Making sure you're available. What the hell do you know? I studied basket weaving at Harvard. I'm the guy. I wear a green tutu in front of cops. I know, cops keeping the streets safe and stuff. What a bunch of morons. The second part is about how the whole genesis of the liberal Democrat party in the United States was a yearning for an aristocracy, doubling down on the education as a proxy. You may say, the Democrats want an aristocracy? Aren't they the ones? who say they hate aristocrats on the 1%, it's a scam. They love this. Their aristocracy is, again, the education proxy to anoint them as the the pantheons of genius and morality, and we should all listen to them. I, I, Dan, I don't get I thought they swear that Democrats always told me they were in it for the middle class. They hate the middle class. They can't stand you. They are yearning for old European style aristocrats and the ability to get into that upper class. They don't want anything to do with merit. They want it to be a, a, a signal to be educational. Listen to this. I'm really read through this. This is great. This I've, I took this a long time ago, the screenshot. Siegel revolt against the masses. The contributors to civilization in the United States, many of them Harvard men, were driven by resentment. The so-called lost generation, explained Malcolm Cowley, was extremely class conscious. Wait, I thought we heard was the opposite. These Harvard men love the middle class. No, 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 no. Goes on. Like Bourne, these Harvard men had, quote, a vague belief in aristocracy and the possibility of producing real aristocrats through education, Cowley said. They went to Europe to free themselves from organized stupidity, to win their deserved place in the hierarchy of intellect. They felt that their status in America, wait, as we talk about this, pretend he's talking about social justice warriors right now and this will make sense. Even though we wrote this book years ago. They felt that their status in America's business culture was grossly inadequate, given their obviously exceptional intelligence and extraordinary talents. Their simmering anger at what they saw as the mediocrity of democratic life led them to pioneer the now commonplace stance of blaming society for their personal failings. Animated by a patrician spirit, they found the leveling egalitarianism of the United States an insult to their sense of self-importance. <laughs> oh, dude! Maybe the greatest paragraph in the history of, a, of, written, uh, of written material laid down in book format. There's so much there. In the interest of time, I'll give you the key takeaways. Democrats can't stand you or the middle class. They revile you. They hate what he calls the leveling egalitarianism of a meritocracy. What does that mean? Let me translate it for you. What do you mean I have to work for a living to be in the aristocracy in the United States to get rich and own a private jet? I'm smarter than you morons. You didn't even go to Harvard. What do you mean? A guy like Joe can go and become the podcast engineer for the second biggest show in America without having gone to Harvard and make a decent living for himself and his kid? That's leveling, egalitarian, meritocracy, my arse. (laughs) Joe doesn't deserve to be in my presence. I'm a Yale student with a social studies degree. What does Joe know? Musician, photographer, what an idiot. (laughs) Damn, Bongino! How dare he lecture America with his podcast? Moron, cop, Secret Service guy, a business owner with a successful business. Come on, his degree was from the City University of New York. What an idiot! They hate a meritocracy. They hate it that the middle class, by going to you know to do an educational facility, whether it be a trade school or a college can educate themselves and work hard and build their own business without going to Harvard and getting a degree in 19th century women's studies? They hate that. The left hates a meritocracy. They yearn for the days of an old-school European aristocracy where you'd get a gentleman's C in school and you would be passed down and knighted and you would lead the great unwashed deplorables into the promised land. That's what they want. These are the new aristocrats they think they are, the social justice warrior, caucasity crowd, offended to the point where she says, I'm going to stab you if you actually challenge the assertion that all lives matter. The rage in her face. Ladies and gentlemen, go to my YouTube, please, youtube.com slash Please watch the video. If you've listened to the show, just fast forward to the part. I don't. I'm not worried about the views or anything like that. Go to the part, watch the rage in her face. Watch the rage at the statement, all lives matter. The rage. So angry you've dared, you, you you, gross, deplorable, middle-class truckers and everything out there that you've dared to challenge her and her Harvard education in your own caucasity that all lives matter. She's so angry. She says, I'm going to stab you. Horrified at leveling egalitarianism where everyone has an equal shot at success. The Democrats and liberals don't believe that. They believe the only shot at success is going to a woke Ivy League college and they will coach you, you dopey deplorables, into the promised land. And if you disagree with them, they're going to stab you. And they're angry to cover one final portion of that Fred Siegel quote from this terrific book. The whole book's like that. Their own failures In life, their own, where they don't get rich, they never build a successful business, they go to a job that fires them because they're sitting there, you know, uh, posting memes about social justice warrior nonsense all day from their cubicle. They blame those failures then on what? Meritocracy in the system. Oh, this system isn't fair. I went to Harvard. I can't believe I didn't get promoted over Joe, who got the job ahead of me because he worked harder. They blame the system. And they simmer in rage and anger. All day. They look at themselves. They hate themselves. They hate you. They hate everything about their lives because they've never found peace in things that me and Joe and Paula have found peace in family, peace in faith, peace in hard work, peace in hope that the hard work will lead to a better tomorrow. There's peace in that. Sometimes there's more peace in the hope you'll be successful than actually being successful itself. They have no such hope because they'll never be what you are or what Joe is or what Paula is. Never. It will be angry TikTok warriors for the rest of their lives offended that the idea that you may believe all lives matter to the point where they threaten to stab you on a video. Egalitarianism. They hate it. Equality. They hate it. But you've been told otherwise, haven't you? Democrats care about the little guy. They hate the little guy. They always have. Read the book. Fire that baby up to number one on Amazon today. It'll change your life. It's that good. As I said, I get no, I have no financial relationship with them. <laughs> I promise you whatsoever. It is just really, really worth your time. All right, let me get to my uh, final sponsor. And I got another important story, another video of um, a Democrat lawmaker, again, completely blowing up his own point in a CNN interview and not even understanding that he did it. Of course, to, to do what, Joe? Attack President Trump. That's all they do these days. None of the stuff even matters anymore. They don't. They're just making stuff up. All right. Finally, our show brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto. Joe's favorite sponsor. Joe is a, a do-it-yourselfer with his yeah. car. He saves himself a lot of money oh, by going to Rock Auto. Uh, He loves this sponsor. It's his personal fave. Hey, one reason to repair and maintain your car is to save money. You can use it for other things. Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact, exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? For example, the Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2010 Honda Odyssey, $353.99 at advance, and it's only $269.79 at rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business. I've spoken to the owner. Great guy. Serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything. Engine control modules, brake parts, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. It's unique. Quickly, see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specs, and prices you prefer. Very easy to navigate. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always, listen to me, always reliably low. Same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? It makes no sense. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Bongino, my last name, in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. An amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com, RockAuto.com. Check them out today. Okay, so uh, you've heard money. If you've heard, if you've been listening to the show over the past few days, this latest anti Trump fake news media story that President Trump uh, was briefed about this Russian uh, uh. Th- bounty put on the heads of U.S. So remember this one: yeah. put on the heads of U.S. soldiers, paid to Taliban, uh, you know, uh, agents of the Taliban who wanted to kill us. Um, ladies and gentlemen, whether the intelligence is true right now, we don't know. It is yet to be verified. I've explained numerous times, um, examples of how this works. I I can't express to you in strong enough terms, how critical it is right now. And I mean, I think this should be evidenced by what happened with the Spygate debacle where president Obama was briefed by John Brennan about a PP tape dossier that was so obviously false that it altered the course of human history. Do you get that? I've explained this numerous times how when I was an agent in Indonesia with the Secret Service, we thought we had a potential terror attack on our hands and the president was an hour from landing. And everybody was like, what do we do? Well, I was the lead. I had to make the call. I said, we're not going to brief him until we figure out what's going on. We can always turn him around or stop him from coming to the hotel we were in. Turned out the incident was entirely innocent. The guy was not a terrorist. Why didn't we brief the president? Because we didn't know. Told the story now three times. You don't brief the ultimate decision maker, the president of the United States, on information you don't have or are not reasonably confident. is true. You could change world history like spying on the president because you thought he was a Russian agent like Barack Obama did on then-candidate Trump. So here's Seth Moulton, failed presidential candidate. He's a congressman. And using his military experience, by the way, to give an example that proves my point Not his, but, you know, he's a Democrat, so it's always tough to get through. He's on CNN with Jake Tapper, and he's asked about this intelligence, and he gives an example, saying, hey, if it were me when I was a platoon commander, exactly, that's the point. Listen to the cut. I'll explain on the other side of it. If I, as a platoon commander, received a report that my platoon might get ambushed, that perhaps we would get blown up by a mine, and I failed to say, well you know, we should take mine resistant vehicles. Perhaps I said, it's not hundred percent, so we're just gonna go out on foot. And my platoon got blown up. I-, I wouldn't be on Twitter defending myself. I would be in prison because that is the basic level of command responsibility ex- expected of the most junior officers in our military. And so for Trump to deny that as commander in chief is the ultimate dereliction of duty. Do you understand how this guy just entirely refuted his point in his point? He said, if I was a platoon commander and I thought there was a roadside bomb and sent my troops into it and they got killed, I'd be in jail. Exactly. He then follows it up by saying, that's my basic level of command decision. Yes, that is your basic level of command decision. That's not the president's call. He refutes his own. You mm-hmm. is, is this, Joe, am I, is this getting through? Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Me as an on-the-ground GS-13 Secret Service agent, I had to make a command decision to investigate this suspicious activity in a hotel room. Mm -hmm. It was not the president's call. He didn't need to know about it. And Seth Moulton, talking about his job, is right. If Seth Moulton, when he was a platoon commander, did not do that and his troops were killed and he ignored it, he would be in the brig. Mm -hmm. He's right. If I as an agent in Indonesia saw suspicious activity in a hotel room, did not investigate it. It turned out to be a subject planting a bomb in the hotel room and it went off. I'd be in jail too, Mm -hmm. but he refutes his own point. He says, that's my basic level of command. And the commander in chief should know this. And He is not the commander in chief, is not at the basic level of command you're talking about to address the problem you just mentioned. There you go. Are you suggesting that the president of the United States should be briefed about every roadside explosive, suspected roadside explosive throughout war zones around the world? Is that what you're saying? This is a congressman who actually refutes his own point in his own point. Of course not. There are basic levels of command structure. GS-13 special agents with the Secret Service, platoon commander on the ground. There are higher-ups. You have generals, one-star, two-star, three-star, four-star. You have the Joint Chiefs chairman. Then you have the President of the United States. All who get intel from the DIA, the CIA, the NSA, they have to decide every day, given the President's limited time, He doesn't work 24 hours a day. He's not an automaton. Which one of those decisions are important enough and based on sound enough intelligence that it's going to require an executive call by the president? Whether you should drive by a potential roadside bomb in Iraq is not one of those decisions. Does he miss that? Whether the president should come to that hotel or not, when we've yet to decide if the man was a terrorist or a businessman, is not the president's call. It was mine, and we made it. Do you get that? Like he, I, he refuted his own point. It was not a decision that intelligence officials felt should be brought to the president because the intelligence they had, they didn't feel was verified strongly enough. I really I'm like astonished. We're still talking about this Hmm. because it's such a basic point that you would think the Democrats would be more cognizant of the fact that they're making themselves look silly in their own press appearances. It was a command level decision at my level, at the basic level I made. The commander in chief should do the same. What? You hear what you're saying? Good luck, seriously, calling up the president for every single battlefield decision made in war zones around the world. gosh i mean really that makes sense everybody get that yeah all right good getting a nod from paul and not from Joe. yeah took a all little right, let me move on. i yeah. got a couple more things i want to get through yeah yeah i know i did but okay. i had to get it because it's really right. you're going to hear more about this story yeah. um voter fraud warning voter fraud alert we need an alert in the screen drew throw in like a big <laughs> i'm warning you there are going to be big problems yeah. in this election if we don't get stuff, I'll say. We'll leave the expletives out of it together right away. I was going to cover this story yesterday. It was a little short on time. Folks, I am extremely worried you should be too. What the heck is happening in this election with mail-in ballots? Wall Street Journal, editorial column. Mail-in voting gone wrong again. Fraud charges and piles of ballots were thrown out in New Jersey. Folks, the Democrats want widespread mail-in voting For this upcoming election, I'm telling you right now, Mark, this show Thursday, July 2nd. It will be a disaster like you have. It'll make the Bush v. Gore election look like romper room. You will have ballots counted potentially after inauguration day. You will have ballots thrown out mass. That's not happening, Dan. Actually, it did happen. Uh, Let's go to the Wall Street Journal piece. It happened in New Jersey where they tried this experiment. Let's go to screenshot number one. Fascinating numbers here. (sighs) New Jersey's a useful warning for the nation here. Four men, quote, four men are accused of committing fraud last month in the city of Patterson's entirely vote by mail municipal elections. For one reason or another, county election officials have thrown out about 20% of ballots submitted. 20. Zero. Two. Zero, not 0.2, not 2%, 20%. For Joe Biden, that's one in five ballots. 20% were thrown out in an all-mail in election. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the chaos if in a national presidential election, 20% of balance had to be ballots had to be tossed out? What do you let's I hate hypotheticals, but let's just for a minute play this game. Don't assume all of those ballots are Democrat ballots. Oh, right. Can we do a hypothetical, Joe? Let's say in a swing state, a swing state like Florida, where I live, where the president won, but not by a huge margin, let's say the president loses the state like the Democrat in the gubernatorial race did here by 100,000 votes, population of Florida is over 20 million people, a sliver. Let's say we find out in Florida, millions voted and 20% of them had to be thrown out. We find out of those 20%, 15% were Trump votes. You think they're going to accept the results of that? May say, why are you blaming on Trump? I'm not. I'm giving you a hypothetical. Flip the script. Say in a swing state, Iowa, Ohio, either one. Say the Democrat loses. Loses by a point. Same scenario. 15 of those 20% of mail-in ballots thrown out were Democrats. You think they're going to accept that result? You may say, ah, Dan, who cares if they accept it? Uh, I care, folks, because the Democrats have shown their willingness, some of them, especially the radical left, to engage in highly destructive acts when they don't get what they want. That's how we opened up the show today. It's not to be gaffed off. 20% 20% let's go to another screenshot in case you think, Oh my gosh, 20% of votes got thrown out. That's pretty bad. It can't get any worse. Oh yeah, it can in a Bruce Willis, six Sense moment. Uh, number six cents. I see dead people, at least three dead people tried to vote the Patterson press report. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> thats I'm not making that. a real sentence. <laughs> yeah, It's not funny. It's just, I don't know if the sentence was worded properly. Up a At least three dead people tried to vo- How did they do that? The Patterson Press reported. <laughs> so the Wall Street Journal is apparently quoting the Patterson Press. um NBC News in New York found a Spanish speaking resident who's listed in the county records having voted. She said, We did not receive vote by mail ballots and I didn't vote, she said. This is corruption. This is fraud. Others say they mailed their votes, yet their names are shown on the list of ballots with bearer problems, meaning people took them in. Um, just to back th- to that opening yeah. sentence a moment. At least three dead people try. How exactly did they do that? Can you walk us through the process? I mean, was 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 it a Lazarus moment? Did I miss something? Three dead people didn't try to vote. That is, what, if the Patterson <laughs> Press might want to revise that statement. Three dead people. I promise you, did not try to vote. Somebody tried to vote on behalf of three dead people, maybe, yeah. but three dead people <laughs> did not decide to vote. I mean. Right. I'm not crazy. It, it was just a poorly worded all sentence. All the time, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe, it I, really I take does. that back. We talked about the Ellen Sowerberry uh, <laughs> yes. Paris Glendennian gubernatorial election in Baltimore a few weeks ago on the show. And we did mention that dead people showed up <laughs> yes. in mass, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Officer Rick Walking Dead style to vote in Baltimore yeah, in that dude. election. So it's not uncommon for dead people to try to vote. Um, having said that, it's a big problem nonetheless. Yes, however sir. poorly worded the sentence is. It's a huge problem. Can you imagine if in a little town of Patterson, three dead people showed up to vote and nationwide, we geometrically blow that up into tens of thousands of dead people showing up to vote. Kind of a big deal folks. No, again, this is not the walking dead. It's not George Romero. Is it George Romero? Night of the walking dead. I'm always terrible with pop culture stuff. This is not going to happen. Dead people should not vote ever. I thought that was, um, logical, I guess not. Folks, this would be mass chaos. It would be mass chaos. Both sides would be sniping at each other and we would have a deadline to get the president elected, inauguration day. It's all in the constitution. That if that deadline was missed, it would be an absolute disaster. How can it be missed? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying how could anymore. I I once said how could we tear down a statue of George Washington? That would be crazy and we're there now. It would be chaos. Big, big problems for the week ahead. We have a couple stories up up at BungieKnow.com about it too. All right. In the interest of time, we're going to wrap up today's show. Uh, Please tune in to tomorrow's show with Jenna Ellis. It's a really good interview. It's close to an hour. One of the uh, legal advisors for the President of the United States. You've probably seen her on Fox and going at it with the folks on CNN a lot. She's very good. It's a longer interview. It's long form. It's definitely worth your time. Check that out tomorrow. Uh, We will be off on Monday. Again, thanks to my crew. First vacation in a long time. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe to my show, youtube.com slash Bongino. We will see you all on Tuesday of next week. Take it easy. You just heard Dan Bongino.